0: Welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a very interesting show. Uh, we are continuing with the ever-important theme of challenging and reversing global warming. And we're doing that today with one of perhaps even the leader who has proposed the most comprehensive plan to do just that—reverse global warming? We had his co-author on uh, some weeks ago, Catherine Wilkinson, and today we'll be speaking with the main architect of this, Paul Hawken. Well, just a little bit about Paul—he is an environmentalist, of course, entrepreneur, author, and activist who has dedicated his life to environmental sustainability and changing the relationship between business and the environment. He is one of the environmental movement's leading voices and a pioneering architect of corporate reform with respect to ecological practices. His work includes founding successful ecologically conscious businesses, writing about the impact of Commerce on Living Systems and consulting with heads of state and CEOs on economic development, industrial ecology, and environmental policy. Paul is executive director of Project Drawdown, a nonprofit dedicated to researching when and how global warming can be reversed. I repeat, reversed. Very powerful. The organization maps and models the scaling of 100 substantive technological, social, and ecological solutions to global warming. Paul has appeared in numerous media, including the Today Show, Larry King, Talk of the Nation, Charlie Rose, and has been profiled or featured in hundreds of articles, including in the Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Washington Post, Businessweek, Esquire, U.S. News and World Report, and he is the author of numerous books, one of which inspired me from the very beginning of my life, really, my teenagehood, and uh, that was The Ecology of Commerce, which was basically a proposal to the business world the business corporate mindset that doing things right, in this case, ecologically, sensitively ecologically and environmentally consciously and humanely was the best route for business to take because when so doing, while it may be a bit more costly up front, goods may have a higher price tag on them the long term was much greater profitability. Much greater. And multiple bottom lines. Not just dollars. Dollars are important, we all know. But, or wherever you are in your respective countries and currencies, I should say. Uh, But we also have other bottom lines. And that has to do with the health and well-being and sustainability of our species, of many other species, on this beautiful planet. So if one does not recognize that as a return on investment one is really missing out because that is what supports life itself. So um, I'm very pleased to have Paul joining us shortly. He's, I can see, running a little late, but uh, I will get him on as soon as possible so just bear with me while I reach out and uh, I'll play a little intro music in the meantime. to be delayed and we have to listen to Beethoven's for Elise, well, (laughs) it could be worse. It could be worse, my friends. Anyway, I'm very glad that you're joining us and Paul has obviously run a little late, so he'll be joining us at his soonest. In the meantime, let me just uh, talk with you a bit about Drawdown called, subtitle, The Most Comprehensive Plan Ever Proposed to Reverse Global Warming. What? It's reversible? Well yes it is. And it's a bold statement but a good one and a noble one and an important one. And one we all really need to take heed of from my point of view. I believe that we are at a crisis of immense and actually somewhat unknown proportion and unknown timing. We had recently on the environmental scientist Guy McPherson, who has one timeline that is nothing short of daunting, to the extent that he termed he came up with a phrase called near-term extinction an NTE. Right, that's not an NDE but an NTE and it is dire. His report is that we have not 12 years the way the last UN report just recently released stated but rather we have closer to two to four years before the ice cap melts so sufficiently that there will be so great a surge of water and uh, the other, you know, ecological systems going afoul with the warming of the currents, which is contributing to the intensity of the hurricanes and the tornadoes, and perhaps even volcanic activity. Uh, We really don't know all of that, but if you follow the line and intelligence and logic, if you will, of nature, you would see that the disruption of one area is going to be leading to the disruption of others because nature works according to a balance, as we all know. And what may happen over here will be balanced out by something over there. And that's an an integral system. That's what a holistic system is, that you're not able to affect one thing without having some kind of counterbalance or countermeasure in another area. So that's the system in which we live and if we violate or ignore the truth of that reality it's physics, man, and biology follows physics, so if all of that is true, which we know to be then we have to pay attention, good news good news, there are ways and Paul Hawkins spells them out in exquisite detail. Not only a hierarchy of the items to be worked on and addressed, starting with refrigerants, all then to onshore wind farms to then even very early on educating girls Uh, which is interestingly a social aspect of the whole, to eating a more plant-based diet. This isn't all in strict order, by the way. To solar farms and silvopasturing. So interesting. So we've got this entire uh, 100 items, one after the other after the other, with their respective costs. Of implementation, but there are also respective gains, financial and from the point of view of carbon reduction, which this game is so much about. So it's not enough simply to get rid of straws, although that's a good thing here in the Big Apple, but we're really talking about global scale changes, systemically sized changes. That's where things just simply need to take place. And it's true. Every person is a consumer and one can either be advancing uh, the presence of plastics, for instance, in our oceans, or reducing by the change in our purchasing habits. No question about it, each of us has a real role in all of us. If we're not involved in solar farms or wind farms or refrigeration or the like, that's okay. If people are farmers, I don't know if we have many farmers listening to the show, but I sure hope it increases, that's for sure. There are very definite agricultural practices that can be used that will really help to sequester carbon. If you remember, I had a gentleman on the show some months back, Jackson Magnick. Badneck, uh, of, who has uh, come up with, after many years of R&D, 10 <laughs> years and spending you know nearly a million dollars in the research by hiring top-level uh, PhDs from ag countries across the United States to come up with a combination of seeds, many of them ancient, uh, by the way, that when combined in very specific ratio will sequester carbon at the rate of six to eight times the amount that ordinary lawn does. And if you analyze the amount of lawn we have on this planet, on the land masses, of course, you will be startled. So what appears to be a rather simple and even simplistic or superficial approach to making a difference in carbon sequestration isn't that at all. Just the number of golf courses, the number, ask our uh, current administration, Uh, the number of cemeteries, not to mention simply people's lawns across America and Europe and elsewhere in the world. Having a lawn is a certain even position of status and prestige, having it look good, even better. So if we were to all implement simply that, we would be making a profound difference. I've been in uh, some contact with a scientist uh, at a leading university in the United States who has come up with a massive way of reducing uh, Uh, carbon in the atmosphere and he is desperately looking for funding. I hate to use that word, but we're at a desperate point in our planetary life and this is just no kidding around. This is not just like a nice discussion. This is a discussion having to do literally with life and death. But the thing is this, it's not necessarily apparent to all in a thunderous kind of way, funny word I use. It is something that is showing up sequentially and cyclically, of course, but it almost appears invisible to most eyes, sort of like, let's say, the effects of radiation in Fukushima. Well, you can still go to Japan and walk around and carry on with the business at hand, and you won't even smell the radiation, but it's there. And it's affecting the fish, it's affecting all sea life, it's affecting the atmosphere, it's affecting the soil, everywhere in Japan and far beyond. We've seen the effects wash up on our shores in the United States. We have seen highly polluted fish, disfigured fish, and we've seen bizarre pregnancies occur among humans who have consumed uh, Pacific Ocean fish. So we've got the data. It's disturbing. And no one wants to see it. No one wants to talk about it because it's too disturbing. And You don't think I can appreciate that, even though I'm not a denialist? It's true. But it hits us in the gut, and we don't want to see the consequences of our actions and our errors. But in fact, they are all around us, and it's just the way it is. We have to reckon with that. So, oh, wait a minute. It looks like... um, Oh. I mean. Oh. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. I thought that I was hearing back from Paul, but I see I do voice to text. And so interestingly, it was just recording my own words to you. So He obviously got held up. He shot me an email just this morning saying that he would be available uh, this morning if I were able to put this together and I was and yet something must have come up on his schedule last minute which has prevented him from getting on. Although I am going to reach out one more time so if you don't mind a little bit more music And we will go from there. wish I had a way of fading that out. So my apologies to you. That was cellist Byron Duckwall, who we also had on prior to his engagement at Carnegie Hall a few weeks ago. Such beautiful music. Such beautiful music. Anyway, I wanted to pick up with you as we are both and all awaiting uh, Paul's arrival. see what happens, but in the meantime, if there is anyone who would like to call in, actually, that may be listening, I didn't really have a chance to do the proper uh, promotion because I was just working around his schedule, uh, please do, 602-753-1860. But in the meantime, I will simply crack open the book and read to you a uh, wee little bit of some of the items here so you can be ref- reflecting on them. I don't know. also bring to mind, uh, for those of you who listen regularly, my interview with his co-author, Catherine Wilkinson, and uh, I had made the suggestion that number one solution is changing the human mind Refrigeration management is very important, don't get me wrong, but if you do not change the mindset of the human who has orchestrated so much that has led to this this crisis called global warming, then we haven't accomplished what we need to. It's when this mind changes and, by the way, gets excited about the change, about the awakening, sort of like then that beautiful song, Amazing Grace, and now I see. I was blind and now I see. Wow. That is the kind of thing we need for people to see right here. That we are all part of this situation that has been so largely human-created. And that's the odd thing when it comes to discussion about climate change with certain individuals some of whom actually have acquired a tremendous amount of power in this world, human power uh, worldly power. And that is, we all know that nature works in cycles there is no refuting or disputing that point it of course works in cycles. The seasons are the main example and everything else. It's just the way it is. There have been heating cycles. There have been cooling cycles. There have been freezing cycles. This is part of the natural order. However, polluting the atmosphere, polluting the water and the soil, as we have done in the last 200 50 years, I would say, since the Industrial Revolution, so-called, the damage that humans have been causing through its polluting practices has been disrupting the ecosystem's natural way. And by so doing, we have essentially trapped a vast volume of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, and based on physics, it cannot escape. It can't get out the way our natural breathing mechanism works, where we inhale carbon, uh, we inhale oxygen and other aspects of the air, and we exhale CO2, which trees pick up on and plants pick up on, and that's the way it works, and it's a beautiful exchange. But if you overload one of the components too heavily, the other one cannot do its job of inhalation, if you will, and digestion of the CO2. It's overwhelming. And we all understand that phenomenon. So that's what's happened in this case, to keep it very, very simple. The atmosphere cannot digest the trees, the chlorophyll-based plants cannot receive this volume. Not to mention, we're deforesting left, right, and center. It's tragic. So there are even fewer trees to be doing the inhalation of the CO2. So you see, it's another vicious cycle and circle that we have created. So, our job is to recognize the part that we have caused not that nature does herself, but what we have caused, what we have had the hand in and change it around as quickly as possible we've been in the danger zone for a long time um, you know, Rachel Carson, that goes back to what the 19, late 30s or 40s, <clears throat> even before that we had the founding of the Sierra Club. We had conservationists. We had Teddy Roosevelt. We had uh, Thoreau. We had people, poets, artists, scientists, conservationists, uh, simple observers. The air in London is foul, man. Charles Dickens. It's so obvious what we have done, and have we, how we have fouled our habitat. And it's just, it's uh, beyond the pale. It's beyond acceptability. So what Paul Hawken has brought forth here in his book, uh, you know, co-authored with mainly Catherine Wilkinson, but so many others have contributed literally hundreds of scientists from, excuse me, around the world have made contributions to this book called the most drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. I'll also share with you that there are drawdown groups appearing all over the planet. We had uh, we have one here in New York City that the Pachamama Alliance is uh, bringing forward. They met just last week. I won't be part of this round of it but I'll be in a subsequent one. But nonetheless, I am working with a group that is very interested in all of these kinds of uh, activities, from refrigerants to solar to wind and on and on. And we are taking matters in our own hands and implementing these initially in developing countries in Africa and then uh, God willing we'll be able to move that effort to Latin America and then to other nations across the planet so there are those of us who are in action and if anybody wants to join me in any of this please be in touch with me at mjr at net. That's my direct email address, mjr at abetterworld.net. It is, in fact, it's really a business opportunity. So uh, um, that's the interesting thing and one of the things that Paul Hawken is internationally renowned for and that is changing businesses to recognize environmental values ecological values. And by integrating these types of actions and this kind of thinking, everything changes. We stop polluting. We stop generating this volume of undigestible carbon. And we start sequestering, or I should say further advance sequestering across the planet. So this is where the rubber meets the road, if you don't mind my saying. Hopefully, that's the rubber from an electric car. Uh, but uh, if you look at it, you see that everything is inter. And if we jeopardize our own habitat, all other discussions are off by preserving our habitat and having this moment of reflection. Uh, if you receive the newsletter, I put in there uh, a very powerful quote by Paul Hawkins, which is this. Is climate change happening to you or for you? Boy, is that something to really think about. So he is really beckoning us toward this idea that we seriously reflect on what we have done, as a collective that is and can we see this as an opportunity for our own full awakening, our becoming fully human and fully responsible as stewards of the planet and well we can say well it's too much for me, I don't believe we can do anything, but that statement is unscientific. And there's just an emotion of sadness that has us dwell there or side there. It's not based on reality. We get story of reality honestly these days from scientific endeavor and if science says that if we sequester carbon at X rate and we stop producing excess carbon at Y rate, by 2031, we will have shifted the ratio so substantially that while certain tipping points will have been passed, and there's perhaps little, if anything, we can do about that. Certain species are gone. We can the tide, if you will, of further damage and jeopardizing our own and other large mammal species from the face of the planet. We can stem that tide of the marine life and coral reefs utterly, completely shriveling up and dying, literally changing the ecosystem radically, that it is no longer sustainable for life. Well, our life on the planet. So, hmm, that's what we're dealing with here. And so, isn't it up to all of us? Well, you know it is. We all know in our heart and soul it is. And since we made the mess, it's up to us to clean up the mess. And uh, in this book, Drawdown, think I was the publisher. I'm announcing it so much here, <laughs> but it's only because it actually does con- contain the seeds of success here. That's the way I would put it, the seeds of success. Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan. And if you pick it up or you get it on uh, Audible Books or what have you, whatever suits you. In fact, it could be that the entire book is on the Drawdown website. So check that out. I was told it was there. So you don't even have to go out and buy it. It's a non-profit organization anyway. Um, So the idea is to give this intelligence and this guidance to everybody. So please also tell your friends you can forward them this uh this uh show as well or dig back as well to the one I did with co author Catherine Wilkinson, which is just very delightful. And I'm beginning to get the impression that Paul has been stolen away by some other activity that he was not anticipating at all. After all it was very early in California when he said he would be available and could be and wanted to be, so in effect so uh, I can only presume that that's the case because he has not responded to email or to uh, text, so that suggests to me, although I'm going to take a little peek right now as I speak to you, and oh dear, oh dear, it's great, oh... I'm so sorry for that interruption of our flow here at a better world radio, but I thankfully I can type very quickly anyway, um uh, he actually did write back and said that he was having some trouble getting in, so he has been around, and he will uh doesn't accept uh, okay. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you all on hold once again. Please pardon me, and I will uh, patch him in my Paul, okay, good. You sent, you sent the wrong number. Very odd.
1: You sent, you sent the wrong number. You sent 602-653.
0: Oh, God. Not me. So sorry, so sorry. Welcome to a better world. So sorry Thanks. for the inconvenience. I must have made a little typo, and it threw it off. Yeah. So, my apologies to you. No problem. So, uh, welcome, Paul. A pleasure to have you. I've introduced you thoroughly to our audience. (laughs) (laughs) 25
1: minutes. Yes,
0: exactly. A 35-minute intro, right, as well as to draw down the most comprehensive plan ever to reverse global warming. So we've been really at it, Paul. So I'm so glad that you're here to uh, chat with us about uh, what you feel we really need to know. I mean, one of the great points that uh, you make here and the book is a testament to, is the real hope, the true scientific validity of the possibility that we can change this situation, that we can really take matters in our own hands and make a difference. Could you pick up on that?
1: Well, I mean, that actually was the purpose uh, of Project Rada was to see where do we stand? I mean, I don't think anybody really knew or knows where do we stand. I mean, we know pretty well on the predictive side, on the science, uh, and that becomes more, um, you never accurate predictions, but it becomes more refined every single year, you Mm -hmm. know, in terms of pattern recognition and the impacts of warming. And it's important to understand that the impact of warming is it changes the global circulation model. in other words that's what it is and so how does more heat change the model and then what does the circulation do when it's circulating that is to say does it does it pick up more water yes you know uh, yes. Does it drop more water? Yes. Does it create more extreme storms? Yes. You know, and mm-hmm. um, and does it create drought? Yes, because circulation is moving. It's moving away from you know traditional patterns of rainfall. So and more, of course, melting, sea level rise, et cetera. But yes. the we so we know kind of where we stand in the sense of defining the problem and defining the physics of the problem and the outcomes in a fairly rough but nevertheless chronological timeline. But But what we haven't really known is um, can we, in fact, address it satisfactorily and can we reverse it? Can we reverse global warming? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we haven't really probably discovered, you know, whether we can or not is because we haven't named the goal. In other words, if if you... if you, if you don't name the mountain, you know, you can't decide whether you can climb it or not. I mean, and so, in a sense, most of the work that's been done, if not all of it, has been about reduction and mitigation and amelioration and combating and curbing and fighting. And, you know, you hear all these verbs, but yes. actually they're not really so efficient unto the day in terms of the long-term prospects for civilization. You know, fighting climate change, what does that mean? And uh, And yeah. so... We named the goal and, and said, well, can we achieve it in thir- 30 years by 2050 um, with technologies, techniques, practices that we have at hand that are already scaling. In other words, we know how to do them. We know how to do them well. They're globally available in, in almost every case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then what we did was, and they had to be peer-reviewed in terms of their impact, and there's only two things you can do about the atmosphere, which is stop putting greenhouse gases up there and, and bringing them back home. Um, bring them back I,
0: into the soil, sequester. Well,
1: the soil and biomass, yeah, mm-hmm. and the oceans in a proper way, not oceans, in the way exactly. you're yeah. doing it now, you know, through kelp and seaweed and so forth like that. But So there's only two things you can do, and so each of the solutions that we um, map measured and modeled uh, have peer-reviewed science, uh, a, a great deal of peer-reviewed science behind them mm-hmm. that um, determines um, um, what the uh, impact are, impacts are. And what okay. we did is we just scaled those impacts over 30 years to see if they grew in a rigorous but reasonable way, whether we could achieve drawdown. And drawdown, by definition, is that point in time when greenhouse gases can go down on a year-to-year basis. hmm
0: Mm -hmm. So you have it mapped then in such a way that if, as I was saying just actually before you got on, that if we were to stop at X rate putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, carbon dioxide actually just being one of, what is it, 43 or so Mm -hmm. major ones, Mm -hmm. uh, or unidentified ones, and we sequester at Y rate, then by said date of you know twenty thirty one or two or what have you um we will have either um sustained the current temperature or we would have dropped it by some yeah. degree oh. or so. <clears throat>
1: Is that the I, I wish level it was which... that mechanistic I wish it was that mechanistic, yeah, but I don't actually because we are benefiting from the buffering effect of climate In other words the greenhouse gas levels are very high, but we' don't, we don't actually experience the full impact of them because it's a very slow yes. thing, yes. so what we're saying is that we can achieve on by twenty fifty that is when greenhouse gases go down on a year to year basis, but the mm-hmm. the 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 inertia and momentum of the changes that are in place now and that will be in place by then would uh, cause the planet to continue to warm for some time. But and that's just the nature of this emergent complex system called you know climate. I mean it's a very very complex system. Yes. Um, but you are reversing global warming in the sense that you're reversing the um, um, you are reversing warming, you know, I mean, you are yes. doing that, but you're not, it's not going to go down that year, you know, and the temperature's not going to drop back down. And and um, so, no, we've locked in some serious um, challenges for this century. Yes. But at least if we actually achieve drawdown, then we have a path forward that makes sense because the means whereby we avoid emissions and sequester carbon actually... Are transformative to society, to ecosystems, to cities, to people, to, to you know, to, to civilization. I mean, they make a better world, a much better world than the one we're in right now. Not just with respect to global warming, but with respect to health and education and jobs and well-being and ecosystems and fisheries and goes on and on and on. So it's not like we have a book that addresses global warming. We do, but you could take overwhelming out of the picture and say what if we didn't care about that or didn't know about it or didn't yes. understand it and you would still want to do 98 or one of those 100 of these solutions. things
0: you know you're yeah. bringing something to mind Paul which is that when I have entered those entangled conversations with people who have issues with it becomes like a religious discussion do I believe in global warming? I don't believe in it. I just accept the science about it. But before getting to that intelligent exchange, uh, there's this idea that um, we're just in, well, look, we're in so much trouble. That's all. We're just in so much trouble. And I feel that you have really laid out here a, uh, a map for us to follow. Yes what I wanted to say is I say let's, let's leave the entire discussion of global warming aside. Why don't we just talk about pollution? Why don't we just talk about what we have done to the air, the soil, and the water and the way we would rather have it in much more pristine condition for our own health and our well-being? Let's just leave it at that. And if we just had that discussion, as you're now saying, uh, those ninety-eight, you know, to a hundred items, we'd have a better world. We'd have a healthier, happier world, and uh, we don't even have to discuss global warming, which has become such a political football.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, it, but there's another way to look at it, which is that most people in the world are disengaged, um, and they're disengaged because, as a friend of mine, uh, um Hannah said, who runs, is uh, executive chair of Kiva, Kiva.org, but mm-hmm. she said, for most people, the possi- their, the possibility their, in their lives, their sense of possibility doesn't go outside their 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 one-room shack or house, you know. And, and so they don't have a sense of possibility in their lives. Yeah. And we are well-to-do, we're affluent compared to most people in the world and so forth, so mm-hmm. we can think out long-term and this and that and so forth. But for most people... It's really about their children, about safety, about food security, it's about their habitat, it's about their jobs, it's about wages, it's about money at all. And so they're not interested, not because they don't have a heart or compassion or brains, but because... They have to deal with the survival. First thing first, you know, which is absolutely. survival on a day-to-day basis. So absolutely. I mention that because the the tendency has been to talk about climate as a future existential threat, which, is scientifically, is absolutely true. But that's not a motivating thing for the world. You're not going to motivate the people by talking about you know mitigation in 32 years from now. You know, 50- yes. 2050. It just doesn't. It it's doesn't abstract. ring. No. And the only way we're going to reverse global warming is to address current human needs. That and that's what you, if you look at these solutions, they address current human needs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so it's the the next book that's coming out is called Regeneration: How to Create One Billion Jobs. And mm-hmm. what what we're saying is that when you make a, an economy more complex in the sense of it being more sensitive to both sky, earth, and water, to people, place, and culture what happens is that um, all the outcomes change in terms of health, in terms of education, in terms of economic polarization, in terms of power, in terms of all those things change in a really really beneficial way. But mostly th- they, you create a situation where there could be more jobs than people. And until there are, people are going to feel disvalued. They're going to feel like you know, they don't have any worth, self-worth. And that leads to tremendous lack of, you know, I mean, self-esteem and self-respect and so forth. Sure. And we are the only species, in, the, in, the, in there's 10 million species, we're the only species without full employment. And and so we've yes. created this kind of weird economy, you know, where we tell some people they're not really needed and then act it out. And so what we're looking at with Drawdown, mean, look at those solutions, there's many more. We are limited by page count. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's many more than that, hundreds of more. The fact is, that they're they're transformative in terms of our society, in terms of our culture, places, cities. They're transformative in terms of people's ability to get um, to create jobs that are living wage jobs to give them a sense of purpose and meaning and self respect and respect from their children, their family, and their community. And that's what people need, Absolutely. and until we marry that with the, yeah. you know, emergency that's on at hand. I don't argue that one. I absolutely agree with everything that's coming out from the IPCC. It's extraordinary. Sure. But until we marry those two, then we're going to have a, <clears throat> a relatively, a very well-educated elite in certain urban centers around the world. And so if we're talking about this and being very, very concerned and upset And then we're going to have the rest of the world saying, uh, you know, where's my rice going to come from today?
0: Exactly. There's a major disconnect is what you're saying. And we can't afford it. And we can understand it because, as you said we have the leisure, if you will, to reflect on our current situation and project into the future. And if other people yeah. are projecting only on what they're going to have on their dinner table the next day, they don't have that same luxury, so to speak, that we have.
1: Each of us would be no different than them. Yeah. And that you know, sense. Yeah.
0: in my uh, dialogue recently, Paul, with uh, your co-author, Catherine Wilkinson, uh I said, for all that I completely adore the amazing work you put together, I would like to add, if I could, a suggestion that number one not be refrigerants, but changing the human mind. Well, then, <laughs> that,
1: then, then you have to go to our methodology. The reason the book, I think, has done well is because of its objectivity, and, the, yeah. and we aren't we aren't really proposing. The, 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 what we're saying is the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming, a cheeky brash title if ever there was one. But actually what we're saying is that humanity mm-hmm. has a plan, there's a collective wisdom here. Okay. Yes. And so our methodology prefended against bias. We all have bias. I think we ought to. I don't like whatever. You know, True. I think nuclear power plants are the stupidest thing you could ever imagine to <laughs> boil water. We're okay? full of I opinions. Mean, it's like come on, are you kidding me? Whoever thought of that? Okay. So that's my opinion. Okay, and I am full of opinions. Okay. Yes. But the that the modeling we did, we, you know, we had over 200 people working together, you know, collaborating all around the world and so forth, you know, eliminated bias. So it's not what I think and so forth. So the first one you're you're, you're talking about is doesn't it doesn't comport to the methodology? Yes. Which is has to be peer-reviewed science. It has to be economic data. Has to be well in hand and it just doesn't you know I mean there's other things like you know carbon pricing that's not there why not it's a policy it's not a solution people say yes it's a solution well it would it abets Every solution in dry down no question. Every solution would accelerate because of carbon pricing. So it's fantastic. Yes. But it is not in itself a solution because if we weren't in this situation, we wouldn't need carbon. We wouldn't pricing. need
0: carbon. But no, I understand. You're adhering to, and I'm saying it a little tongue in cheek in one on yeah. one hand, but you yeah, are adhering true. to very strict, as you said, objective criteria, uh, based on which we can literally change the the carbon ratio which is what we of course need to do so dramatically but then you brought in the idea of um of meaning in people's lives and self-esteem and self-confidence and all that which is you know you could call the more subjective space so in that lineup i would say change the human mind if you know if you know what i mean because it it it's what has led uh, non-objective as it is, it has led to the crisis we find ourselves in right now. But well, in fact, you also bring up the education I what is it, number seven or eight, of six, girls. Six,
1: nine, six, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean... Educating girls is just one pathway to family planning. There's a hundred reasons to support the education of young girls in the world. All sure. 98 million that are not in school that should be. Yes. Um, we just said. By the way, did you know? And you know that a girl who is allowed to become a woman more on her terms, which is to complete a high school or better education. Uh, has an average of two plus children instead of five plus when she's pulled out in uh, mm. puberty or pre-puberty. So I mean, we just that's that's the UN is known that uh, you know it's the UN numbers. of uh, That fact or uh, has been known yes. for 40 years. This is nothing new. We just said, hey, you know, right. we put two and two together, and and that that's right. is a type of family planning. The other type of family planning is family planning clinics, you know, for women who. Um, uh, uh, available to women everywhere for their reproductive health and well-being, and um, so you you put those two together, and uh, you have the number one solution be the, the empowerment of uh, girls and women is the number one solution. It trumps refrigeration. So it depends yeah. how you look at it. We're not into number one so much. You know, it's like if, if number three is food waste. If you calculated, which we cannot do. The methane emissions from food that's landfilled—it's mm-hmm. uh, called methanogenesis—and methane is 28 to 34 times more powerful in its green uh, global warming potential than CO2. Yes, that would be number one, you know. And then, I mean, you can just, you know, and then you put on an offshore wind together. That would be number one, you know. So far, so yes. I mean, it's it's not so important, you know. Number one, number two, number three, you know, yes. four, four or five. But is important is that it's a system. <clears throat> and yeah, the system yeah. caused it, and it's a system that heals it, so what we say there's no such thing as a small solution either, you know, I mean it, you have to look at them all, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point, so it's not somehow, in some kind of very rigorous way, one through a hundred, but there is some hierarchy, there are definite priorities yeah. and they could be looked more as groups, you could say, you know, and, uh, and they're also, as you also made a very good point, they're interactive, yeah. So if we were to remove, if we were to really address even refrigerants, we would see, you know, a calculable change in, um, in the methane and the, you know, the, uh, the uh, yeah, carbon
1: yeah. footprint. Yeah, so, the chlorinated hydrocarbons, yeah, right. which are used for refrigeration. Yeah.
0: One of the other top items uh, I see is uh, plant-based diet. And could you talk about that a little bit and the whole idea of commercial agriculture and uh, cow raising, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, we in the West have this idea that we need lots of protein, and actually it's not healthy for us. Um, So we tend to eat 90, even 100 grams today when 50, 55 is the um, recommended amount. Mm -hmm. And um, much of that protein comes from... um, meat, you know, pork, uh, obviously yes. beef, um, dairy, um, chicken, and um, those, you know, the, the industrial uh, production of meat is—I mean—it may be the largest cont- contributor to global emissions, but if it's not, it's right up there with uh, yes. uh, transport. Uh, it's, it depends how you calculate it, but it's just enormous, and the damage is enormous. And the interesting thing about it is the damage to the environment is is extraordinary. The damage to human beings who are eating it is also extraordinary. Because mm-hmm. I mean, it's the basis for heart disease, stroke, and you know. I mean, it's you know, sclerosis. I mean, you know, eating meat is eating a lot of meat is not a good way to live. And every medical um, study that's been done has pointed that out uh, about longevity. I mean, if you're Inuit and you live up there, well, for sure, of course, you know, mm-hmm. that's what that's the food of the place, you know, you have. Yes, but, it's indigenous. Yeah, but for the rest of the world, most of the world, you know, it doesn't make sense. And so a plant-based diet, we didn't say vegan, we didn't say vegetarian, we didn't even say, you know, non-carnivorous, we're just saying is that that if the world moved and to a proper amount of protein intake, 50, 55 grams, there was, that's a reduction in the West and improved that intake in those countries and places where people are getting insufficient amount of protein, mm-hmm. and that uh, we moved um, to more plant-based protein uh, than uh, meat-based, um, the impact would be. Uh, enormous, just enormous. And again, it's one of those things like our waterways and dead zones and the oceans and, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. GMO corn and soy, which is basically fed to cows and pigs, you know. Yes. Um, Yes. So the consumer has a big impact on changing a lot of things by changing what they eat.
0: Yes. Now, do you draw a distinction, Paul, between commercial, industrial, um, cattle farms, pig, poultry, etc. And let's say, you know, you said that most people don't uh, leave the habitat of their their little hut or shed or small home, let's say if we're looking at developing countries across the planet, uh, that have their own few chickens, or if they're considered wealthy, they have a cow <clears throat> or a, a few pigs. So are you at all, making a distinction between that kind of natural uh, habitat for animal husbandry
1: and yeah, the industrial. Yeah, um, we um, are talking about capos, confined area feeding operations where uh, meat is industrially produced. Actually, we also have you know managed grazing or pulse grazing, or there's another lot yes. of terms for it, you know, but. Where you know animals are grazed, you know the way they ruminants naturally um, mm-hmm. um, graze, which is they're migrate, they're migratory, so they don't stay in one place. Mm-hmm. We have you know that solution as well, and that actually is a restorative uh, solution in terms of the, the, the climate. And, yes, and so um, yeah, we do make a distinction, and we're not saying don't eat meat. That's your cho- that's your business, not our business. Our business is not to tell people what to do. Our business is to show people. Of the things that we can do that have a tremendous impact, both on you know global warming, but also on cascading um, second, and third order effects, you know that um, affect their, uh, their lives and the lives yes. of their children. Yeah.
0: Well, what I, it's so wonderful. I, is there a particular one or few that so surprised you as you were assembling all of these data? Uh, that you went, oh my, you know, that you just were kind of caught unawares of.
1: Well, I guess the thing that I would say is this: that we all had biases, you know. We we yes. knew the top quote quote knew. I mean, we didn't, but with the top three, four, five, six would be, you know, we knew it. Yes. It'd be solar, it'd be wind, it'd be electric vehicles. You know, we thought managed grazing actually would be way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I did anyway, and. And by the time it came out the Paris, you know, the Paris uh, COP21, and, and, you know, we began to think, I began to think personally, I was like, mm, I'm not so sure we do. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. And I, I actually teased friends who went there, and I said, ask anybody if they know the top five or ten solutions to reversing global warming. Uh-huh. Not in order, not in order, just, you know, it doesn't matter, yeah. random. But and And I started to ask people. And no one knows. No one knew. No one oh, knew then. So here wow. we are at that time, 27 years into the IPCC, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Report, yeah. and there wasn't one person in the world that could name the top five or ten solutions. Oh. Now, you can go back and push back on that and argue it just like I did myself, you know, in terms of, well, this could be a number one, that could be number two, but they're all up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in yeah. some form or, not, uh, form or another. And it's just, to me, what we discovered is just so astonishing that after, you know, all these years, we didn't know. And so for me, the whole darn thing was a surprise. Refrigerant management being number one, and yes. reduced food waste, number three, and plant-rich diet number four, tropical forest, five, educating girls, six, you know. Right. Silvopasture, number nine. No People don't even know what it is, you know. Right. And um, in, in fact, eight, why don't you tell us? <laughs> well, it's, it's, eight of the tw- top 20 solutions are uh, food-related, Again, mm-hmm. who knew, you know, peatlands, number 13 is, you know, tropical stable tree crops, number 14, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, which actually gives you a sense that there's so much we are doing and can do. There's so much possibility as opposed to, you know, solar wind and Elon Musk, you know, somehow our future rests yes. in their hands, you know, and it doesn't. Uh, True. It rests in everybody's hands. <clears throat> yeah.
0: You know, if you go back to uh, Findhorn, going back to the, late 60s and early 70s and they were doing their really interesting um, systems of, of purification of, of uh, waste and it was using um, different kinds of marshlands and things like that that they sort of replicated in a, a man-made system. Even the work of um, you oh. know in Woods Hole yeah, that's on
1: Todd's work. That's John right, Todd's work. exactly, yeah. Todd's work. This is going
0: back, you know, 40 years and more. Thanks. And this was knowing the way of ecosystems. Even think about Rachel Carson, for that matter. So it hasn't been a a loss of information about the way nature works and the way nature seeks to preserve herself, and therefore all of her creatures, like ourselves, even though we're a bit harder to uh, deal with. But what I, I just so admire in the work you have done is you have taken the time to really assess, as you said, the uh, objectively assess with peer-reviewed work uh, what a reasonable order is that we can move through. But not only that, you also list the cost. I'd love for you to talk about that for a moment. The cost of implementation and the cost of the savings that would be realized both in dollars as well as in the carbon reduction.
1: I will. I have uh, two more minutes, though. uh, Oh, okay, fine. No, 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 I'm sorry, because we're late, and I have another interview. Yes.
0: I apologize. But I do have one other question. No, it was my Uh, fault. I went back and I saw. I hit a typo. My apologies to you.
1: Which is your most important question? Ask,
0: ask. Ah, okay. Well, I wanted to hear a bit about um, you know about the the cost, but I actually want to also just ask you because you're you're on this massive effort. You're going to be speaking at Omega Institute in uh, Rhinebeck, New York, coming up. You're you're going far and wide with this. How does it feel inside you to be the author of all of this? And do you get any time to rest? Do you, have, do you ever get thrown off your course? What is sort of the personal aspect of what it is you're doing?
1: Well, one aspect of it is to do it as a collaboration, so that I don't, I don't feel like we're I'm not I'm not in the mood. I don't think the world's in the mood for you know white male charismatic vertebrates to be right <laughs> people what tell people what to do. I love and that
0: so, line of yours. Yes.
1: And so I felt I felt like from the very outset, you know, it was. A, we are, it's a listening and a, and a sharing and a collaboration of really intelligent people all over the yes. world from 26 countries and six continents and, and uh, half PhDs almost half women and not quite but still so we were very careful to set this up in a way that was, you know, a, a we instead of a me. Yes. And so that it, it really isn't about me. The edit, the the publisher, my publisher for 30 years, said, "Okay, you have to be on the cover." And I said, "I want everybody on the cover." No, no, no. So I mean, I'm on the cover, and I did write a lot actually, and I just put editor instead because I didn't yes. want author. Or, you know, I mean, I didn't. And I, I really wanted people to, to see that this is something that we, not only we that are directly involved with the project on but we in a larger sense is, can do. And um, what's really edifying about it is not so much anything about me, you because know, I've just hired a new ED. I replaced myself as of October 1, mm-hmm. and um, in in that, that spirit, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to go, go continue to write and research and speak, but but, um, not to be the head of the organization you know sure. and the the what's edifying is just the the uptake around the world i mean even the the Omega thing, which you probably discussed, you know the drawdown Learn thing on Omega this weekend yes, I mean there's forty live streaming satellite organizations in the world around the world that are going to be you know oh. uh you know and streaming out and and already laurel Island up the Omega says she thinks we'll have hundreds next year. They're going to repeat it next year mm-hmm. because of the hunger that there is in the world to learn and oh to my act. That you is know. so beautiful. Yeah. Well, Paul
0: Hawken, thank you so much for being on today. You've been a real hero of mine for so many years. And, Mitchell,
1: uh, thank you. I'll come back anytime you want. Okay,
0: okay. great. Okay. I'll, be, you'll be here I'll in make probably. up for
1: the loss of <laughs> Okay, time.
0: great. I appreciate that. And so will the audience. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, my friend.
1: Thanks, Mitchell. See you soon. You Bye. got it.
0: See you soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. Stay with me for one moment. Okay, I finally figured out a solution. How to get Paul Hawken on our call today. So uh, it was my fault folks. It should be said. I saw that I had made one typo in the phone number and uh, that led to my lengthy introduction of him, where during which I was able to extol his virtues and uh, uh, express my appreciation of his uh, excellent work over the course, literally, of decades. And uh, this kind of leadership is of such value. And he made so many good points just now, but just to reiterate one uh, that he made about most people in the world are truly Uh, on a level that they are concerned about their meal next day you know, or even later in that very same day Uh, they don't have the means of self-support of sustaining themselves and their families, and this is so much a problem, and without which addressing, we really don't have the movement that we need to make a huge, huge, huge difference. We need to have everyone in some capacity involved. So uh, just uh, the fact that people's sense of self-esteem and self-confidence and usefulness. We all want to feel that we have a usefulness in this world out of which we generate our own sense of purpose and meaning. I mean, I talk about this all the time to my students, my listeners, and my uh, clients, because this is the heartbeat of our lives. As he also said, we're the only species that has an unemployment rate. I first heard that idea expressed in the film Urban Roots about a group of um, uh, economically uh, challenged people largely black in Detroit after the mass exodus of the auto industry started growing uh, lettuce and tomatoes and peppers in public parks and on the lawns of foreclosed properties, abandoned sites. And before you know it, they started generating food for themselves and their families and the surplus they would sell at farmers markets. Totally ingenious very productive, very meaningful to the extent that then uh, prisoners who are getting out of being released from prison after serving their terms this became part of their reintroduction to society and they had a job automatically. Same with uh, people in drug rehabilitation programs. They would get their hands into the soil. So beautiful. And they would become a meaningful part of the enterprise and of society while generating that funny thing we call money. So uh, that's what we have here and um, In that film, one of the fellows said, I never saw a bird who wasn't employed. (laughs) I love that line. I never saw a bird that wasn't employed. Everyone sings and everybody eats when it comes to other species. So why should we be excluded? So Paul made reference to the subsequent book coming about employment for the billions did he said for a billion that's interesting um, that brings to mind uh, van Jones uh, the green economy where he was making a huge pitch for uh, solar and wind jobs and the like and there's an enormous and growing and flourishing industry uh, around renewable energy and um, moving green, so to speak. I've got to tell you, to hear uh, President Trump on 60 Minutes last night with Leslie Stahl saying that, yeah, you know, global warming may be kind of real, um, It's, uh, but it's not a complete hoax. So oh, thank you, Don. But uh, um, I don't want to lose trillions and trillions of dollars. And he's talking, of course, about the oil industry. Um, and related ones, he just simply doesn't know. I mean, no one apparently has had the conversation with him about how incredibly lucrative and job-rich the green and renewable worlds are and all that Paul has brought forth in this book with his colleagues called Drawdown where the employment becomes massive, just massive. And this is the kind of thing we need to just get our uh, politicians on board with. They just need to read a little bit of the long-standing material, the documentation of how economically advanced this approach to business is, as I made reference earlier to Paul's book, The Ecology of Commerce, which was what turned, was very influential on me. I had already actually, as a teenager, began connecting the dots about doing things right. I was already demonstrating at age 14. My father had to drive me to the uh, demonstrations in Bridgeport, Connecticut where the smokestacks were running wild with our air Um, and I was aghast just simply simply put, just aghast. It wasn't that I knew the science I just knew the sensory experience of seeing black smoke instead of you know, just fresh air and I smelled it so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see that we're doing something far from healthy, far from normal, far from natural. So that could be enough impetus. One doesn't have to read a science book to, to know this. We know it inside our sensory experience. We have that kind of intelligence, folks, and that's part of our survival. And uh, the brain is designed to keep us alive moment to moment as the wisdom of total biology tells us, and Dr. Claude Sabah and others. So that's what it's set up for, keeping us alive. So when we experience danger in our midst through smell, sight, something audible, something tangible, kinesthetic, we react. And we we see, whatever it may be, as poison, as toxin, as endangering life and we move away from it. But what if it's in the air? What if it's in the water? What if it's part of the soil and you can't just blow it away or filter it out so easily or quickly? This is what we're dealing with, folks. So that's where all of us are to really get on board. So I want to just thank you all for listening today and I'm so sorry that uh, Paul was delayed on uh, getting on with me. Um, And it was my error so again my apologies but I sure hope you enjoyed the time that he was on with us and certainly we will have him back again to further explicate uh, the points that we can all have a role in um, engaging in and I definitely I recommend that you go to the drawdown project drawdown website and look into it yourselves and see how you can, as he was saying, that uh, there are going to be 40 satellites hooked up through Omega live streaming to all corners of the planet. So this is a big and growing movement and now you know of it, through listening here on A Better World to its two primary uh, authors, co-authors, Catherine Wilkinson and today Paul Hawken. And there will be more folks, I assure you. As I also mentioned right before Paul joined, is that there are drawdown groups popping up everywhere of people getting educated and then people implementing as best they can within their scope the actions needed uh, for sequestering, as he put it, there are two actions. One is sequestering as massively as possible and the other is reducing the carbon footprint, i.e. the generation of more carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases, by the way, methane, as the true leader of them all, by the way, and the other 41 to 43 uh, identified main greenhouse gases. So I really thank you for uh, listening and I really do urge you to forward this to your friends and family and colleagues so more people really get educated about what it is we're dealing with. We don't want to dwell on the Horrors before us. If we do not, we've done that already. Let's look at taking matters into our own hands and proactively and enjoyably working at implementing and executing the solutions. So, on that note, I want to just remind you all that a better world is also a nonprofit organization, and your contributions and investment in a better world is so appreciated. Contact me at mjr at for information about how to go about that. Uh, donations are tax-deductible, and as you know, we have a series of different products and services here, from executive and communications coaching to stress management consulting and biofeedback, as well as classes, events, and the like. DVDs of our interviews and visit us at www.abetterworld.tv and www.mitchellraben.com M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-R-A-B-I-N dot com. Thanks again for joining and I look forward to seeing you all next week.